It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! It's a March Madness Monday edition of the Final Drive today here on WNSP 105.5. I'm Corey Labonte, joined by Michael Brauner and... For those who have a bracket, if you're like myself, you have officially lit it up and torn it into so many pieces that it's ridiculous because my official bracket is definitely busted. But that's why they call it March Madness for sure. And some people call it March Sadness, depending on who you're rooting for. But the thing I love about this tournament, it always gives... Every team an opportunity, whether you're a 16 seed or a one seed, to get it done. And in my Final Four bracket, I had Alabama, Marquette, Gonzaga, and Miami. Excuse me, Houston. Well, all four of those decided that they wanted to watch the Final Four instead of participating in it. And Michael Bronner, we're going to give our listeners an opportunity to participate Two Jag baseball tickets versus Southeastern Louisiana tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. When you hear, look at them Jaguars, make sure you give Michael a call. Again, two Jag baseball tickets tomorrow. Southeast Louisiana is who the Jaguars will be taking on. It's Thank You Field at 6.30. You can win those tickets when you hear, look at them Jaguars. But the, the Final Four, Michael Bronner, it's really not what, a lot of people expected, and I say a lot of people, probably 98% of anyone who filled out a bracket. No, I, it, it, it's funny because last season we had the Blue Blood Final Four between Duke, UNC, Villanova, and Kansas. And this season we have, uh, I don't even really know what to call it. Uh, and, you know, somehow, some way, people find a way to complain about you know removing the Alabama uh, we'll get into Alabama uh, but removing the Alabama perspective from it uh, somehow some way people found a way to complain about the blue blood final four last year and now people are finding a way to complain about oh well it's gonna have the lowest ratings of any final four I mean I don't I don't know what people want in in terms of uh, if you're a neutral fan but it is what it is and yeah we got a final four. It's March Madness, Mike. I love it. I mean, you have Alabama, who was the overall number one seed, having an opportunity to make history and flat out choked. You can take them having the best record in Alabama history. That's great. But for the third straight tournament that Alabama's had an opportunity to play in in the NCAA tournament, they lost to a lower seed. Now, granted, this was the first time Alabama has ever been ranked as an overall number one. So as Coach Oates stated in his press conference, yeah, you, you were, if you lost and did anything but win a national championship, you were going to lose to a lower seed. But I asked you on Friday, 
I said, is this the best team in Alabama history? I also made the statement that they also needed to hit at least six three-pointers in order to continue to survive in advance. And that was going to have to be for their remaining remaining games that were they were going to play. And against San Diego State, Alabama decides to go three out of 27 from beyond the arc. And you can't make any excuses when the ball does not go into the hole because that old saying, you live by the three, you die by the three. I don't think that Alabama necessarily lived by the three. It's just Brandon Miller did not play up to his standards that he had played with throughout the regular season. Three out of 19, one out of 10 from the three-point line, six turnovers and 11 rebounds. Now, again, Brandon Miller, the best Alabama player I've ever seen put on a Crimson Tide uniform. But for Alabama not to have beaten San Diego State is inexcusable. Yeah, I think the live by the three, die by the three is kind of an overstated, overplayed out. Three out of 27, Mike. It's not overstated. Three out of 27, brother. If you make six or more, you win the game. In this game specifically, yes. I'm saying this year they've they've won a lot of games where they've shot horribly. I mean, the the system is what the system is. It relies on defense and extra possessions and and quick shot. I, I have no issue with how many threes they took. Uh, yeah, they 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 weren't going in, unfortunately. Uh, three of twenty-seven is three of twenty-seven. Like you said, they needed to make probably six, and six may or may not have gotten it done. Uh, and you know there were there were some poor there was some poor officiating, but you take a lead by nine in the second half and and don't close it out. You you just don't have a uh, a, a reason to blame the official. I mean, Brandon Miller's second and third foul in the first half were were both questionable, but again. Uh, the first, you can throw out the first half, honestly. I, I, w- I will say this: you go down, you go, you go in down five, and you go, you take a nine-point lead with whatever it was, 12, 14 minutes left. Twelve minutes left to go in the game. You're up nine. You you have a pro Alabama crowd. You're up seventy-one. Final score seventy-one to sixty-four. Okay, Alabama's down at halftime. I knew that defense would have to travel for them because I've said it again: defense travels as a basketball coach or as a basketball enthusiast. You never take time off defensively. Just ask San Diego State and their mm-hmm. ability to defend. But if you were to tell me Alabama out-rebounded San Diego State by four, Alabama was 15 out of 20 from the free throw line, San Diego State only 13 out of 22, I still say that at certain times during the game, Nate Oates, he, 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 he flat out, sometimes looks like a deer in the headlights at times and because you can't have and a, a person in the app really s- took the thunder and rolled with it you can't have two timeouts in your pocket yeah and and, and not use them he does, as he does far that. as stopping it but you can't it. go back to Tuscaloosa I, with them yeah I, I you he, can't it's fr- it's frustrating that's kind of a, a NATO's philosophy and in, in, in not not that he'll, he'll never you call cut a timeout. You cut it to two. You cut it yeah. to two. Not not that he'll never call a timeout, but he definitely has a tendency to let his team figure it out on their own versus calling timeout when things appear to be slipping out of control. It is frustrating. Cause and I'm okay with that. Yelling. I'm okay with you figuring it out, but not in when it's winter go home time. Yeah. Now, I, when it's winter go home time, damn it, call the two timeouts. You're, you're down two. Call them. You, you, you can't take them back to Tuscaloosa with you. And 
And, and what's going to be interesting is I love the fact that for the first time since 1970, you have three first-time participants in the Final Four. And you mentioned it moments ago. If you're a Blue Blood enthusiast, last year you got what you wanted, without question. But now you have the smaller guys, San Diego State. And I'm not going to take anything away from San Diego State. Yeah. They found a way to get it done. Now, you can talk about the officiating, whether it's in the Alabama game or the Elite Eight game, whether a hand on the hip should have been called or not called for Creighton, whether it was called consistently or not. At the end of the day, San Diego State, the the, the young man still had to make the free throws. He, he choked on the first one, but he sure didn't choke on the second one. And you can look at the timing and the out of bounds and whatever you want to in that situation. But still, San Diego State is appearing in one more Final Four than Alabama has ever appeared in. And and that at the end of the day, that stings for a lot of Alabama fans. And it, and it should, and it has to, but it is reality. And here today, you, you just have to look at reality and say, you know what, the sun came up if you're an Alabama fan. Barely. But it... <laughs> But it absolutely sucks if you're an Alabama fan. It just it is what it is. And Auburn continues to remain the only men's basketball program in this state that has played in a Final Four. Now, when you go to FAU, that is just a remarkable run that FAU has been able to make. And when you start looking at all these teams that are in the Final Four, at some point in time in the first round, whether it's at halftime or whether it was with seconds remaining in their first-round contest, all of them trailed and found a way to win. Now, out of all the teams that are in, to me, Miami and UConn, I would love to see them play in the national championship game because they're the two most exciting teams to me right now. But when you start looking at what FAU has been able to accomplish and the fact that they're going to play San, either San Diego State or FAU are going to be playing for a national championship. No blue blood at all in that one, especially as a nine seed if San Diego State can get in there. That's unbelievable. Yeah, it, <laughs> I don't know how much better it would have made it uh, just from an Alabama fan perspective if San Diego State had lost to Creighton, but it, <laughs> it certainly made it worse when San Diego State went on to beat Creighton I, I and I can't really explain why it, it, it just made it worse it, 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 it San Diego State found a way to win that game and, and uh make myself and probably every other Alabama fan feel worse I, the first half of the San Diego State Alabama game I mean San Diego State did a phenomenal job of dragging Alabama into the mud making making them play San Diego State's game I mean it was such an ugly first half of basketball and then, I mean, I don't know about you, when Alabama went up nine, I thought that game was over. Uh, I, I, I thought, all right, Alabama's about to step on throats, run away with this thing, Alabama's going to win this game by 15. I, San Diego State's not making a shot for really the first 30 minutes of the game. And then suddenly, uh, to add insult to really the cherry on top of the insult to injury, salt on the wound, salt in the wound cake, is the fact that every mid-range shot, you know, obviously Nate Oates is the anti-mid-range king, every mid-range shot for the Aztecs in those last 10 minutes felt like it was going down. They couldn't miss. And it was it was horrible. It was painful. And then I'm out. I, 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 I'm, I, I'm finished on. I'm, I'm believing the game is over, that I've accepted defeat. 
Alabama finds a way to suck me back in. Cut it to two <laughs> with 45 <laughs> seconds left. And then you foul with 45 seconds left down two. That has to be talked about as far as from a strategy standpoint. Oh you have God. to know going in, what is my team strategy? And you have to stay focused. And that goes back to coaching, unfortunately, because your players, you 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 have to know time and situation. And if you don't know time and situation, you shouldn't be on the floor in the biggest stage of them all with 45 seconds remaining. If you don't know time and score, and if you have not learned the importance of time and score, coaches go over it all the time. I just think that with the run being made, if nothing else, you cut it to two, you call the timeout. How yeah, does that timeout time Timeout would have been good there. Be, because you talk about what our strategy is going to be as a team. Draw up something on defense. Figure out how to get a steal. It's anything not even, but a foul Anything there. but a foul because you're going to send them to the line with the clock stop saying, hey, I hope you miss a free throw, which they knocked down both of them. And now with you still only being three out of 27, you're having to hit a three. Exactly. And even if you hit that three, you're going to have to call a timeout again. But you cannot go into – the opportunity, you can't you can't go in there with two timeouts in your pocket. Hey, you cut it to two, you call the timeout, and you talk about, all right, this is what we're going to do. If we don't get this steal, we still are, are, are fine from a time standpoint because if they miss or they make, we still have a time two timeouts remaining. So no matter what, don't go back to Tuscaloosa with those timeouts being on the scoreboard. I mean, if you play hard defense there for 25 seconds, say, and San Diego State – create something and gets a bucket you can live with that it is what it is like you, you you at least play really hard defense try to create a turnover if you're unable to you know maybe Tremel makes another ridiculous mid-range and you're down by four with 20 seconds left and that's pretty much it at that point anyway you can live with that it is what it is nothing you can do but to put him on the foul line with 45 seconds left, when you cannot make a three at the, to save your life at that point, Quinterly made one in the second half, Miller made one to start the half, but to put him on the free throw line with 45 seconds left too in much a two-point game. Too I, much you, time, that's Mike. A, that's more than the shot clock. Too, it's basic way too stuff. much time. You can't foul there. Well, the great thing about today's show is we'll talk with the head coach of the Texas A&M Lady Aggies, Joni Taylor will be joining us at 4 o'clock. And, of course, we'll talk to Tony Sakalis at 3.30 about the Crimson Tide collapse. And Daryl Daprich will also be talking with him in the 5 o'clock hour. But I'll, I'll be interested in talking to an SEC coach about do you have to know what your strategy is going in? And it's Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Bronner. And we had a user in the app that says you can be disappointed without sounding like a bunch of 10-year-olds. Well, I got news for you on that one. I'm 45. Like, Coach, I'm a man. I'm a man. <laughs> you know, it's a situation where I, I, my life does not end or begin with an Alabama win or loss in the NCAA tournament. The facts are the facts. Alabama choked it up. They were up by nine points. They lost the game. Nate Oates had an opportunity with two timeouts, chose not to call them. San Diego State's in the Final Four. Yeah, I mean, I've seen this take a lot. The, uh, the be happy, 
that Alabama is is what they are now and not not what they've been for the last really 50 years, for the most part at least. And and, and I fully agree to an extent, uh, but at the same time, it speaks to how how much Nate Oates has done for this program already. Nate Oates has raised the standard at Alabama, and same goes for Bruce Pearl at Auburn. But you know, talking about Alabama for now, Nate Oates has raised the standard at Alabama, and Yes, is it? If you told an Alabama fan ten years ago that they'd be disappointed with the Sweet Sixteen exit, would that sound crazy? Yes, but that's the reality of the situation, and it's disappointing because this team was good enough to get to that next level, and they didn't get it done. So, I don't think it's crazy at all, or I don't think you you sound like a complainer or a whiner to have wanted more out of this team because this team was capable of accomplishing more, and it. They wasted an opportunity. Well, it's obvious the NCAA committee felt that this team was deserving of a number one overall seed, not just a number one seeding, but overall number one. And, of course, it's going to be disappointing if you don't cut the nets down in Houston. Anything less than cutting the nets down was going to be disappointing because it would have been great to have Alabama making its first ever Final Four without question. It would have been great for the state of Alabama. But at the same time, when you allow a team to go on a 12-0 run in three minutes and you're up and you're the overall number one seed and it's a pro-Bama crowd, you just have to find a way to get it done. And they did not find a way to get it done. And because of it, now you can look at where Nate Oates has taken this program. You can't take anything away that they are the SEC regular season champion. That's great. They, they are the SEC tournament champions. That's great. But their goal was to cut down the nets in Houston. And that's every team's goal at the beginning of the season. But the great thing about it, go ahead, call us 251-694-1055 if you thought that FAU was going to have an opportunity to cut down the nets. So, I mean, look at the final four. And look, I mean, there was not a single number one seed in the Elite Eight. I mean, are you telling me that the four teams in the Final Four are the four best teams in the country? Uh, obviously, they aren't. It's the nature of the NCAA tournament. It comes down to matchups, and it is what it is. So, like, if you're going to sit here and tell me that the four best teams in the country are FAU, San Diego State, UConn, sure, and Miami, I mean, you're you're lying to yourself. It, it, it It's just the way things play out in this tournament. It's what makes this tournament special. And... It, it sucks that Alabama didn't get it done because, again, they were capable of it. This team was good enough to get it done, and they didn't get it done. So, yes, is this a choke? Absolutely. Is it a collapse? Absolutely. Does it hurt? Hell yeah, and it's going to hurt for a long time. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean they're not capable of getting it done next year or the year after. Nate Oates has raised the standard. This team's not just going to go from being the best team in the country this year to being a dumpster fire next year. They're going to be good next year. And speaking, and, and, speaking of next year, let, let's talk about that. Will Javon Quinterly come back for a six-year of eligibility, uh, or is he gone? We'll see. We'll, Jaden we'll, Bradley we'll and Damari Burnett, they definitely need to return. Yeah, Ryland Griffin yeah. needs to come back. Noah Clowney, I think if he wants to test the waters, yeah. I think he could test the waters as, as a second-rounder. I would come back if I'm Noah Clowney. Nick Pringle and Betty Ako, I think both of them definitely are coming back. I'm excited for Pringle next year. And if you get you another true point guard, because coming into the season, no one saw Brandon Miller being not being this good, an All-American. No one saw that. Yeah, not 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 being. I mean, I think it was known he was going to 
be a damn good player and be a contributor, but this good, I, I don't I don't think anyone saw that, but I mean, they got a solid class coming in. They'll hit the portal. They'll they'll be good next year. Uh, they're not going to be number one team, number one overall seed. But take a look at the final four. It doesn't really matter. Uh, you get in and and you you make a run. You get some good matchups, and who knows what can happen. They'll they'll be back. They'll have a chance. It just really stings that it felt like they had such a wonderful opportunity in front of them this season. They'll never have a player like Brandon Miller again. Well, uh, let's let's talk about Brandon Miller for a moment, and I think we do have his comments about what Brandon Miller had to say after the contest, and he's probably one of the most mild-mannered speakers that you'll ever hear. It's a great team. Uh, it's probably just the best thing about it is just being around these guys. I don't, I don't think uh, anybody can top this. Uh, I think we have the best bond in this country. Uh, honestly, I still think we're the best team in the country. So. Um, really just being around these guys and the bond that we have. Uh, I know we're going to probably be at each other's weddings and everything in the future. So, I mean, it's just a bond you can't break. Regardless of your decision, what do you think of the immediate future of Alabama? I think so. Oh, they're definitely going to be a, a successful program, just, just coaching. Um, I feel like Coach uh, always did a great job uh, with his uh, recruiting. So, I, I know for a fact they're going to be a successful program. One and done. Brandon Miller, and I think that, you know, everything that he has done for the Crimson Tide this year in regards to on the floor and his accolades being very well deserved, I don't think that, you know, Brandon Miller had a spectacular postseason. Had a great SEC Finals, yeah. without question, 24, 25 points there in the SEC Finals. Uh, he had his worst game of the season against San Diego State. And I, that includes, like, the Houston game where he had zero points uh, until the last couple of minutes where he hit some free throws. He, he, was, he was bad. Uh, he had, I think he had six turnovers, uh, a couple of them inexcusable. When Alabama was kind of winning, and, and, and there, were, there were two in a row that were just atrocious, uh, kind of Quinterly-esque at Quinterly's worst, but it, it, was, it was Brandon Miller. And just, just not good. And, and, you know, I don't know if the groin was bothering him. He, obviously, he's not going to come out and say that. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Doesn't really matter now, does it? It, 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 do, it doesn't matter. I mean, I think at the end of the day, Brandon Miller again will go down as one of the greatest Alabama players of all time. Period. Regardless the, of the greatest, what, in my opinion. And you're not the only one who feels that. But we were talking with Tom Stipe, who have seen over 35 years of Alabama basketball and. He says the same thing, that Brandon Miller is the best Alabama basketball player he's seen put on a uniform. But as far as the Final Four is concerned, San Diego State, they earned the right to be in the Final Four. They absolutely played a barn-burning game against Creighton. They spanked the Crimson Tide. You look at how they were able to go ahead and handle the College of Charleston and Furman. And FAU, FAU had no easy task getting past Memphis, North Tennessee, and now they're having an opportunity. And to me, UConn is playing the best basketball of anyone, beating all their opponents by 15 or more. Miami, they've got a great backcourt duo. Laranega taking his second team to the Final Four. It's hard to do one. So when we come back on the other side of this break, we'll talk to Tony Sakalis and see what his thoughts were on the Crimson Tide Collapse. You listen to the final drive here with Corey Bounty and Michael Bronner on WNSP 105.5.
Hey, this is Dabo Sweeney, and you're listening to WNSP 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. I'm Corey Labounty, joined by Michael Brauner. And, of course, March Madness turns out to be March Sadness for a lot of fans and a lot of teams and a lot of sadness had by the Alabama Crimson Tide overall 31-6 best record in school history in anything less than a national championship as the overall number one seed was going to be considered a disappointment when you start looking at it as a whole. And the managing editor of Tide Illustrated, Tony Sakalis, joins us this afternoon on the final drive. Tony, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. I tell you what, Michael Brauner and I had this conversation on Friday prior to the game and the biggest question that we had was if Alabama loses this game would the season be considered a disappointment or a failure in the eyes of many Alabama fans and from a fan standpoint I think they are called fans which can be fanatical at times I think the answer is yes uh, because they have never had been an overall number one seed in ever in the history of of their co- collegiate basketball program, what are your thoughts on that? It's hard to you know. On one hand, it's hard to view a, a season where you won the, the conference title and the you know um, conference tournament title a failure. That that sounds harsh right off the bat. But when you think about what this team could have been and the way that the NCAA tournament played out for it. Yeah, I think it is a little bit of a failure. I mean, this is a team that had it taken care of business, really could have rolled into the national title game. I mean, look at who's in there uh, in the Final Four. I'd pick Alabama. I mean, they lost to UConn, so maybe that UConn matchup's tough in the final. But, I mean, you're, you're talking about a team that really should have rolled into the final if it would have played up to its potential. So I could see where you would say it's a disappointment, although it is a little bit harsh. when you talk, I mean, you, you really do got to – they aren't – they did cut down the net twice, you know, so um, that is that is tough. But, yeah, you would have liked for this team to at least gotten to the Elite Eight, matched its, you know, its previous record, a previous longest run. Um, it's a tough finish to this season. It is a tough finish, but not only being a tough finish, what you want to talk about is people saying Alabama – three out of 27 from the three-point line. You live by the three, you die by the three. But that's nothing new for Alabama this season. I mean, they had one game where probably their first game of the season that they only hit three and another game where they only hit three. So this only happened a couple of times this season. So that's what you've done analytically to get to the point to where you are SEC regular season champions and SEC tournament champions. So the system works. It just, you have to find other ways to where the criticism has come down the stretch when you're down by two and you don't call a timeout and your team fouls. Is that your strategy as a head coach? Yeah, I mean, there were some, you know, there's always been some critiques about, you know, Nato's in-game management. And I know a lot of fans wanted to take different timeouts at different times. And, you know, there, there was some, I think there was ways that that game was lost multiple you know multiple times you know but 
so you could pin that you could pin it on one thing or the other, but really it was an accumulation of errors for Alabama. And it ultimately led to that loss again. Alabama being up by nine. I know Michael Bronner talked about it. I actually thought when the Crimson Tide went up by nine and had it sounding like a Coleman Coliseum Jr. in there that that they were going to go ahead and really run away with it. And then a couple of costly turnovers, and next thing you know, basketball is a game of runs. And credit to San Diego State for not giving up and continuing to pound and really implement the type of pace of play that they wanted from the beginning. Yeah, it's kind of like a boxing match where, you know, you got one guy starting it looks like to get that advantage, and then all of a sudden uh, you get that upper hand jabbed to, to the chin, and, and all of a sudden the, 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 the favorite is shocked, and, you know, and then that's what happened. You know, I mean, you had that one run by San Diego when it looked like they were going to be out of it, and then Alabama really couldn't respond, and by the time that they could respond, they just ran out of time. You know, I think if we would have given Alabama more time, they would have figured it out, but uh, it's, it's a matter of runs, like you said, and San Diego State caught them at the right time and capitalized at the right time, and that's what this tournament's about. Tony, Brandon Miller played probably his worst game of the season, I would say, given the fact that he turned the ball over six times on Friday. I, I mean, do you think it was the type of situation where the groin injury was bothering him, or, or, or did, did he just flat out play a bad game? I think he flat out played a bad game because, you know, he, is, he shook off anything about the groin injury, and I, I'm not sure how big of a deal the groin injury was because uh, it certainly didn't seem like it was limiting him physically. I don't think you, you saw him hobbling or, or doing any of that stuff. I think it was just, I think, also, I, I think you can't count out. He's a, he's a mentally tough kid, but this has been a really trying experience on Brandon Miller. And regardless of why you, what you think about the situation, it's going to wear on a guy emotionally to be that much in ridicule, that much in the spotlight. And I think that kind of seeped into his game a little bit. You, you, you have to argue that it did. And then it's a, it's it's a mixture of that and San Diego State also just playing a really good game against Alabama, making the right game plan for Alabama, and um, really taking it to them physically, eliminating the ability to you know drive to the basket and forcing Alabama to make threes that they just couldn't make. The biggest question now is now that Alabama has taken this loss, where do they go moving forward? Does Devon Quinley come back for a sixth season? Does Noah Clowney come back? And what are the McDonald's All-Americans can Coach Oates add to the bag along with replacing two of his top-notch assistant coaches? I think that that's really been overshadowed in this whole run as well. Yeah, so I think, you know, you're going to lose – five players in my opinion i think you're going to lose the two players that ran out of eligibility which would be dom welch and noah Gurley. then i think you're going to lose your two nba draft prospects and brandon miller and noah Clowney. and you're also going to probably lose it looks like javon quinterly so that's five that will be compensated by the five players they're bringing in with freshmen you know you've got um gavin cosby plus the four uh freshmen that are coming in as well in the summer uh, that could be three. I've heard some stuff about R.J. Johnson, like maybe not coming. Um, so if that's three, that adds another spot. So let's just let's just say all four of those come, and then the five players that you know I, I said they're going to leave leave. That leaves Alabama with you know two two spots to fill um, because they were playing essentially you know two guys down th- this season. You started the season one below the scholarship level, and then Darius Miles left. So um, 
you, you have two transfers to play with, uh, possibly three, depending on how the roster shakes out. I expect them to kind of go with a lengthy guy. They need a, a, a pure shooter, so somebody you know, somebody that can kind of step in and provide that offense that Brandon Miller had. Obviously, they're not going to get a Brandon Miller, but if they can get a guy that can score um, and, and give another elite shooter on this team, I think they really need that. They could probably use for that player, if possible, to be kind of more like a wing um, in that six-seven range. That's, you know, NATO loves those kind of guys. Somebody in that range, I think, that would be a perfect fit for Alabama. Um, and then, you know, before that or, you know, during that, yeah, you're going to have to get two assistants, Brian Hodgson and Charlie Shaw. Those guys are um, – or Charlie Henry, sorry. Are, those guys are uh, big-time, you know, coaches and played a big role in the staff. And um, I think, you know, it's going to be tough to replace them, but I expect NATO to do that. It's just there's going to be a lot of turning it around really quick because you can't take a long time with those hires because you've got to grab people out of the portal. So – I expect Alabama to try to fill those coaching staffs and then make a really big push at the portal. Yeah, I, I expect Alabama to be active in the transfer portal as well. In terms of the freshman class coming in next season, I know you just said that about R.J. Johnson. Is there any of these guys that you expect to play large roles on the team next year, whether it be Chris Parker? I mean, we've heard a lot about Sam Walters. I know he can make shots. Just in terms of your knowledge, is there anything you've heard that you would uh, be surprised if any of these guys didn't contribute immediately? Uh, Mo Diabate is the guy that's going to play defense. He's probably got to polish up his offensive game, but he's so versatile and can play such good defense that I could see him possibly, if you look at this roster, like with what they have, I mean, shoot, he might even compete for a starting spot just with the defense he plays and the size and the versatility and you know how you can use him. Um, he's a guy I think could, could really be someone they could use. Walters is a is probably the most intriguing of the bunch, but he is very skinny. And, you know, you think to play in this league, he is going to have to bulk up a little bit. If he has a big summer, you know, he could definitely replace some of the the big, you know, lengthy shooting that they're losing from uh, Noah Clowney and Noah Gurley. I mean, that would be great for Alabama if he could come in right away. He might be a year away from being that really big impact player, but we'll see. We'll see with him. And you said Chris Parker as well. He's, he's good. Gavin Cosby, one of those two guys. I don't expect all those guys to hit right away, but, like, you know, if one of them did, that would be huge, you know, and we'll, we'll, we'll see. And I think, you're, you know, you're going to have um, guys that are, are good, maybe take a while to, to kind of hit. You know, like you look at Rylan Griffin, um, a guy that I thought really hit later in the season. Um, you might have – that might be the case with one of the, the wings coming in as well. So um, I expect all those guys to have a chance at uh, contributing. Maybe not R.J. Johnson, and I don't want to, like, down a kid. I just don't really see him – you know, if he does come, I don't really see him fitting in right away uh, with this roster. There's still going to be a lot of talent on it. I'm not sure he has what it takes to break in right away. Um, but the other four – I think you could make a case that they could come in and, and play a role depending on how things shake out. Um, others more so than, than others. And I think a lot of that, though, depends on uh, just what they do in the transfer portal. And I, I think Alabama is going to probably pull uh, a couple of useful names out of the transfer portal. I think that will be huge. We're speaking to Tony Sakalis, managing editor for Tide Illustrated. And when you get a sense of the feel for the environment at the Yum Yum Center, there in Louisville what what type of pro crowd was it I mean when you hear and you see the fans that they showed after San Diego State was making that late run to me it was a pro Alabama crowd as a whole and it was looks like a great environment for a regional game as well 
Yeah, no, it was a great environment. Um, it felt like an NBA arena. Um, it was really neat. Uh, you know, it's, it's a bright, shiny arena. That, um, I'm sure the players loved playing under it. It kind of had an NBA feel to it. But as far as the crowd, I mean, geez, it was like, it wasn't necessarily Coleman, but it was definitely pro-Alabama. Um, you know, that's another shame to all this. You know, Alabama really would have had a pro crowd throughout the whole tournament because if you look at the way it checked out, uh, with the teams going to Houston, you had, you know, it would have been FAU, Miami, and UConn. And then if Alabama would have won their region, they would have been. I think that Houston would have been a predominantly Alabama crowd because you got two teams from South Florida and, and, and then one team from, you know, the Northeast. I think Alabama would have traveled better than those teams. So it's, it's disappointing. And, that, and it, you know, not to add more salt to the wound, but I think Alabama you know, would have had a big-time crowd in Houston um, and should have been able to capitalize on that as well. In our last couple of minutes, I know we make the transition now from basketball and it being the the best Bama team ever to football and spring football with the A-Day concluding toward the end of April. Alabama's biggest questions through their first week and a half of spring football, what do you think they've been? I, you know... We really haven't had enough media availability, and we don't get to see practice to know, like, how the team's progressed. So I don't know if this really changes from, like, my biggest question heading in, but I'm still going to stick on the offensive line. Um, I think the quarterback position is going to shake out the way it's going to shake out, but the offensive line is really going to be how this team's determined. I think there's kind of almost a cap on how good a first-year quarterback can be, um, but there's not a cap on how good this offensive line can be. And if this offensive line can really be an elite offensive line, I think that's the thing that makes Alabama a title contender. I think this Alabama team, when you look at it, is not as – I think when you look at teams in the past, you're like, oh, man, this is definitely a title contending team. And I still think this Alabama team can be a title contender, but so much of that, in my opinion, hinges on the offensive line. If this can be an elite offensive line, I think the rest of the offense can work. I think, you know, you give a young quarterback, you know, time – um, you establish that running game, then you, you know, I think you have the receivers to make it work. You know, is it, is it the best Alabama offense, you know, you've ever seen? Probably not. Uh, I mean, cause you're taking away Bryce young, but I think it's good enough to work. If the offensive line is elite, the offensive line has three top offensive linemen in its class. So if they all hit, it, it really can be a special, you know, unit, but uh, two of those guys we've, we've never really seen at the college level, and there's uh, Elijah Pritchett and Caden Proctor. You know, you're going to need those guys to come in and play really well right away. That's a big ask. So, to me, that's the biggest question mark. Can guys like Elijah Pritchett, Caden Proctor, can they come in and be elite, kind of like, you know, what we saw from J.C. Latham, although that was his second year. If it can be that kind of level of consistent, I think that this, you know, team can be, I think this Alabama team will surprise Look at them Jaguars, look at them Jaguars, love the way they play that game. 251-694-1055 is how you can get into the show. And you know what that music means, an opportunity for two Jag baseball tickets versus Southeastern Louisiana tomorrow at 630. And you can call us now at 251 694 1055 and coming up at the top of our four o'clock hour we will have the texas a&m 2021 sec coach of the year joni taylor a year ago she was named the eighth women's basketball coach in aggie's history and 
she will break down the women's final four that are getting ready to be set as there are two more games tonight that should be outstanding games. South Carolina takes on Maryland. That's a one versus two seed. And Virginia Tech takes on Ohio State. All those games on ESPN. But so far, South Carolina, the only undefeated team, men or women's tournament-wise, that are competing. And don't know if you all had a chance to see Caitlin Clark from Iowa last night, but she's definitely a headliner. She's the only player in the history with a 40-point triple-double in an NCAA game. Caitlin Clark had that 40-point triple-double last night for the Iowa there was, Hawkeyes. There was never, one, there was never a 30-point triple-double either, was there? I know. I, I mean, records. 41 points, 10 rebounds, 12 assists, and 3 steals. Also had 9 turnovers, but at the end of the day, her team beat Louisville 97 to 83 and it's the first Iowa Final Four since 1993 so we'll have an opportunity to talk with coach Joni Taylor who is the head coach at Texas A&M and she had an opportunity to play against the South Carolina Gamecocks and she can tell us all about the chances that the other teams in the country are going to have to try to keep South Carolina from cutting down the nets and winning that national championship. The final drive with Corey Labonte and Michael Brauner on this March Madness Monday. It continues to make a lot of people upset and angry. March Sadness is what they call it. March Madness for those teams that are still alive. But Joni Taylor, she's experienced March Madness and sadness in the tournament. We'll talk to the Texas A&M head women's basketball coach next here on the final drive. From Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Brunner. Do your job and play together. The final drive, live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And again, it's been March Madness or March Sadness, depending on who your team is. But San Diego State, FAU, UConn, and Miami all in the final four and very deservingly so in this situation for these teams when you get your one shining moment, you have to take advantage of it. And that's exactly what you see these teams have been able to do. You've had some controversial calls within March Madness, but at the same time, you have to find a way to overcome those calls and still find a way to win the game. And I mentioned going into the break 
about last night, Caitlin Clark being special, the first male or female to have an opportunity to have a 40-point triple-double, and that led to her Iowa Hawkeyes being victorious over Louisville last night, 97-83. to LSU, Kim Mulkey, in her second year, having an opportunity to advance to the Final Four, 54-42 winners. So the SEC still finds a way to stay alive and could possibly have two teams in the championship women's series as South Carolina will play a tough Maryland team tonight. And South Carolina 35-0 trying to become back-to-back national champions. And Dawn Staley, you can't take anything away from what she's been able to to accomplish and Virginia Tech they're an overall number one seed and they'll be playing Ohio State following the Maryland versus South Carolina game that will tip at six o'clock so great women's basketball that is scheduled for tonight and of course we do have our men's basketball final four that a lot of people including myself you just have to rip up your bracket And look at that situation to where if you had San Diego State, FAU, UConn, and Miami, I'm impressed. You need to go ahead and and give me those lotto numbers so I can go ahead and play them. But UConn, to me, looks like one of the best teams that you have seen. And I think that that's a situation there to where did you think Alabama would lose this Sweet 16 game? Did you think they would play UConn for the national championship? I would love to hear from you guys. 251-694-1055. You can give us a call. Did Alabama, did they choke? Is their season considered a failure? Can Miami find a way to get it done? Because Jordan Miller, he was perfect. He came in averaging 15.4 points per game, but perfect game last night versus Texas. 7-7 seven seven from the floor. 13 of 13 for the line, 27 points total on top of Isaiah Wong coming in averaging 16.2. These are two of the best backcourt players in the country that a lot of people have not really been talking about. And then when you talk about what Miami's been able to accomplish with their head coach, that's special, Michael. And I don't see anybody really being able to – upset what UConn and the way that they've been dismantling their opponents really throughout the NCAA tournament. Yeah, UConn, I mean, we said at the at the start of the month that they're pretty damn good, and it, it turns out that pretty damn good is uh, maybe even better than we thought. They're, they're, they're phenomenal. Uh, UConn is, I mean, I, I, I probably expect them to win this national championship. I think most people do at this point. It's UConn, Miami, FAU, and San Diego State, uh, and like like you said, no one really expected this to be the Final Four, but it, it, it's what we have. I think UConn going into this is, uh, of those of the four remaining teams, I think going into the tournament, UConn is the only one we would have said as a legitimate national championship contender. There are times there were uh, obviously they had some poor stretches, but there were times during the season where we would have called them one of the best teams in the country, and uh, it just you know they they, they lost some games and. It happens, but they certainly are playing their best basketball right now. Well, Miami and UConn, again, the small schools are the ones that you really want to have an opportunity 
to see shine in the one shining moment. And I didn't think there would be any Cinderella's, but of course there have been some Cinderella's in this game as for the first time since 1970, you have three first timers being in the final four. And that's what it's all about. And we were talking about going into the break about the women's game and Caitlin Clark being one of the premier, if not the most elite player in college basketball this season. Can South Carolina find a way to be 36 and 0? And I think that that's one of the questions that our next guest, Joni Taylor, who is the head women's basketball coach at Texas A&M, can answer for us because she's had an opportunity to play against South Carolina and Dawn Staley and as well as see LSU up close and personal as losing a close game to LSU early in the season, 72 to 66, and really taking the Tigers and giving them all they can handle. Joni Taylor, good afternoon and welcome to the final drive. Hey, thanks for having me. It's always great to be on your show. No question about it, Joni. And as we're catching up, I know that there was some great women's basketball that was played, but Caitlin Clark, she just said, look, I'm not worried about the individual accolades. I want Iowa to continue to make it to the Final Four for the first time since 93, but creating history last night with that 40-point triple-double, have you that? seen anything like that, Joni? You know, I'm going to say this. I've seen it firsthand because I was fortunate enough to be an assistant coach on the U19, USA Basketball U19 team a couple of years ago, and Caitlin Clark was on that team. And so the shots that she makes now – she does that in practice every single day. When she She's one of those players, Corey, that when she gets hot, look out. The basketball rim is like an ocean. But those shots that she catches and shoots off one leg and dribbles step back, step back, she does those in practice. Before practice, she's working on it. After practice, she's working on it. She is someone, it's kind of like Steph Curry-ish in the fact that that's part of her everyday routine. So now when she has to do that in the game, it's not luck. She's not just pulling on a hope and a prayer that's something that she's practiced and it's something that she's confident in and you can tell that her teammates and her coaches are too we're speaking with Joni Taylor who is the head women's basketball coach at Texas A&M and as Joni was the 2021 SEC coach of the year I know you had an opportunity to do some analyst work this past weekend and really get a chance to dig in deeper to these teams LSU continues to find a way to make it to the final four as they beat a good Miami team but Miami as a nine seed just was not enough for everything that coach Kim Mulkey and Bob Starkey and the rest of his staff had to offer yeah, you know, LSU is good at what they do, right? They're, they are not as loaded from a bench perspective as South Carolina or maybe some other teams, but they do what they do, and they do it well. It's very simple basketball. It's ball screen, wing ball screen, and play high-low and go all, go get it. And, and they do that, and then they defend at a really high level. And so when you know what you're going to get every single night from them, um, and Kim has a way of making her players play hard. You know, she's got a championship pedigree. She's got a certain level of confidence, and it, it oozes out onto the players and onto the, onto the team. So they, they, they know who they are, and they stay, they stay within their script. Tonight you have an opportunity for two more teams to punch their ticket to the Final Four. Maryland taking on undefeated South Carolina and Dawn Staley, and, of course, Ohio State taking on Virginia Tech. 
Is there more pressure on South Carolina this year being undefeated and, of course, coming, trying to make it back-to-back national championships? Well, I think anytime you're chasing history, there's some pressure. There's some pressure to it. But I think that if you would have asked them, they would have been wanting to do three in a row. I think the year we were in San Antonio in the bubble and it got away from them on that offensive rebound when they lost to Stanford, I think they thought they were going to be going for three in a row. So right now, I still believe they are playing the redemption story, you know, of of going back to back. But in terms of them feeling nervous, they've been on the stage so many times. And you look at that senior class who Dawn lovingly calls the Freshies, you know, Leah Boston, Bree Bill, Zaya Cook, uh, uh, Leticia, uh, me here. Um, Those young ladies have been together for four years. And so they are battle-tested. They've been to the Final Four every single time. as, as, a, as a game cock, and so I think they understand what that feels like, and Don's got them prepared. I don't see anybody beating them. I, I think they're that good as well. I just think they're on a mission. But Don Staley, as one of the African-American women coaches, what she was able to do a few years ago by cutting down the nets and giving a piece of the net to all the women coaches – that were in the profession there, I think, and even her just going and calling a timeout when she was winning when one of Corey Close's, who coaches at UCLA, had a player injured and Don Staley had the basketball and called a timeout so UCLA could tend to their injured player. That just goes to show the type of leadership ability that Don Staley has continued to show and have. You know, she is a great ambassador for our game. She is, in my mind, the face of women's basketball right now. I think she's earned that right. I think when Pat had it, we gave it to Pat. I think when Gino had it, we gave it to Gino. And I think we should all give it to Dawn. She is the face of women's basketball. And she's earned it and she deserves it as a player, as a coach. Um, and it just speaks to who she is. Dawn's a great person. And she cares about growing the game. She cares about doing what's best for the game. And so her sending a piece of that net to all the other um you know, African-American coaches in Division One, and then also the timeout that you spoke about. It's just who she is. It's, it's who she is, and I, I love her. I think she's great, and um, what a great ambassador to have, somebody who's done it at every level. Well, Joni, you're a great ambassador for women's basketball as well because you wouldn't be the head coach of the Texas A&M Lady Aggies if you were not. And, of course, you do have a little Mobile, Alabama flavor on your coaching staff as Robert Mosley here from Mobile, Alabama is one of your assistant coaches and has been with you at numerous stops, whether that's at Georgia or your short time at Alabama or even now on your staff. Talk about your staff and the Lady Aggies moving forward. I know this was your first full year, a year ago being hired as the Aggies, taking over for legendary coach Gary Blair and then having an opportunity also at Georgia to take over for another Hall of Famer and Andy Landers and what that's been like for yourself. Yeah, so just really fortunate, the staff that I have. You know, I I try to hire smart people and then get the hell out of the way, Corey, and let them do their job. Um, You know, I think it speaks a lot about culture and loyalty and just trust. When you look at our staff, everyone from Georgia came with me to College Station with the exception of one person. And, you know, I think that says a lot about who we are and what we try to build. And so Robert Mosley, you spoke about him earlier. He is from Mobile, Alabama, originally. Uh, we worked together as assistant coaches at Georgia for Andy Landers. But even before that, when he was a high school coach at Ramsey High School in Birmingham, he won several state championships. I recruited a ton of his players as a college coach and just got to know him really well and knew he would be somebody who would be successful 
in the college ranks. So he had a short career at Alabama as an assistant coach and then came to Georgia. We worked together for three years as assistants, and then obviously I retained him when I became the head coach, and obviously when I came to College Station, he came as well. Um, Chelsea Newton is a great player in her own right. She plays with Vivian Springer at Rutgers, uh, made it to a Final Four as a player and a coach, won a WNBA World Championship when she was with the Sacramento Monarchs. Just a great player. You know, you talk about players who want to get to the next level. They have to look no further than down the hall to Chelsea to ask her what that experience was like. Played a really long time in the league and still has a ton of respect in the league. Um, Catherine Graham, another Alabama native. Um, She's from Birmingham, Alabama. Played for Coach Mosley at Ramsey High School. Had a great career at LSU where I was able to coach her when I was an assistant, and then she obviously came to Georgia and was on Coach Lander's staff as a grad assistant and then worked for me also, also followed me to College Station. So just that's, that's my coaching staff. We're really excited about that. We also have Meredith Mitchell, an Alabama native, who is our director of business operations. She played at Georgia. I coached her there and just is a great, great ambassador and another great example of somebody who's played in this league for a really long time with SEC all-defensive player. And so – our, our young ladies can look around a ton of different areas and just see what it looks like. Catherine Graham went to a Final Four at LSU, and that's what you want. We've got three players, three people on our staff, including me, who played in this league, played in the SEC, and everybody who's excelled at a high level. In terms of our team, when we came here, we knew we were going to be in full. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And, of course, it's a March Madness Monday edition and new football coaches at Murphy High School. We've been waiting to see if they were how long they were going to wait to hire a new head football coach. And they did so today. That was approved by the Mobile County Public School System. Justin Hanna. He comes from Jackson Olin High School. He was their defensive coordinator, and he will be taking over for John McKenzie and the Murphy Panthers, who were 2-7 and seven a year ago. And, of course, Saraland has new men and women's basketball coach at Saraland High School, and Amanda Niehoff, as well as Drew Powell, taking over those two positions at Saraland High School. So I know... On the prep spotlight, we'll continue to talk about that on Thursday as we've had a lot of moving parts, but very important moving parts, especially at Murphy High School as they are getting ready to start their spring practice. It'll probably be a situation to where when we talk to Justin Hanna, we'll have to find out whether they'll go inner squad or decide to have a blue versus gold game and see what kind of situations they're at. The Atlanta Braves, of course, as we're getting ready to start baseball season, I thought that this was a pretty interesting tip of the cap and a no-brainer. Every Saturday home game, Bronner, the Atlanta Braves will have on special commemorative Hank Aaron uniforms that will honor Hank Aaron. Of course, Hank Aaron being from Mobile, Alabama, meaning so much to his family. Continue to see him honored and great for the Atlanta Braves. Continue to honor Hammer and Hank as well. Yeah, no, I love that. That's uh, it's probably what a top three baseball player to ever live, and he's from Mobile. So, uh, great to see the Braves paying him his due respect. I love that. Well, they'll be called the City Connect uniforms, and they'll be wearing them again every single Saturday home game that the Braves will play. And Bronner, I know that coming into our next break. We'll be talking a lot more about the busted brackets. 
that not only I have, you have, Everyone but most has. of America has in regards to did you have San Diego State, FAU, Miami, and UConn in your Final Four? And there were some great games that were played this weekend. We'll talk about the controversy of those games. And UConn, they had no controversy. As to me, they are the favorite going into this Final Four that will start this weekend. You're listening to the Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5 with Corey Labonte and Michael Bronner. Hi, I'm Joe Godfrey. I'm a big fan of 105.5 WNSP Sports. Welcome back to the final drive. Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner on this March Madness Monday. And doesn't matter whether you got into your office pool or the ESPN pool or the Yahoo Sports pool. If you filled out multiple brackets, you probably can take those and rip them up because they're not going to look like you want them to. And again, for the first time since 1970, three first-timers at one time are in the Final Four. And I think that's great for college basketball because it gives you that true meaning of that one shining moment. What can you do? And I think that these schools have shown that they can do a lot and take advantage of their opportunity. Now, a team that I know, Michael Bronner, you really liked a lot, the Texas Longhorns, they've made it official. Rodney Terry finalizing the deal to become Texas's head coach. And I felt they probably should have removed the interim prior to the NCAA tournament, especially after him winning the, the conference championship. But you know, winning and March Madness, it just, you've seen the emotions that are so raw in a lot of these post game news conferences, and especially win or lose. You've seen tears of joy. You've seen tears of sadness. You've even seen a coach say that he's crying just because of the fact of how well his team did do and didn't say that they were tears of sadness. But I know one Rodney Terry from Texas. He had a lot of passionate things to say yesterday in his post-game news conference. I mean, again, I love these guys. And not only will I just love these guys for the time I got a chance to coach them, I'm going to love them for the rest of their lives. I'll be at their, at their weddings. I'll be, I'll be with the, you know, talking to those guys when they have their firstborn. And, uh, you know, it was all about this team, man. And I, I, I enjoyed every single day of this journey with this group. And, and I'm, I'm going to really miss you. really miss working with this group. So it was never about me. It was always about these guys. And I love these guys. Rodney Terry, so emotional in his post-game news conference yesterday. And I know at that point in time when he had that press conference, tears streaming down his face, he, he still had interim on it. And it was a tough 88-81 loss to Miami. And Again, it's the agony of defeat that you feel knowing that when you feel you have something special, Texas making it to the Elite Eight and having a chance to be conference champions, I was hoping that Texas would go ahead and retain him as the head coach. Yeah, the way he was talking in that 
press conference, it almost sounded like he didn't think he was going to be back. And and I understand, you know, your emotion, whether you're the permanent head coach or or whatever, you're emotional about the season ending. And no matter what, it's not going to be the exact same group the next season. So so I get that. But, you know, the way he's talking, it it, it really does sound like he he doesn't think he's going to be named the, the official coach. And honestly, the way the game went, Texas had, what, a 15-point lead and kind of just stopped scoring for a while. And so I understand why he, why he's thinking, man, I, I, I might not get this job. Um, so, you know, the fact that the interim tag is removed and he does get a five-year deal to be the coach, I you know, he's probably overwhelmed with emotion again today. Beating Kansas twice in March. That's tough. Beat them by 16 in the regular season finale and then again by 20 in the championship game. And true enough, Kansas doing so without their head coach, Bill Self, who we continue to wish the best from a health standpoint from. But there were just a lot of interesting names that have been brought to the forefront, especially here in the Final Four. And I'm still looking at a situation to where also, Jerome Tang from Kansas State and some of the things that he had to say, that it's bigger than basketball and that it's about life. I know that his comments really hit home for myself being a former assistant coach and head coach as well. When this happens, this is the third time I've lost in the Elite Eight, and you can sit around and mope and cry about it, or you can really uh, – just think about the love and the joy that you've had uh, through the season. And, you know, like, like winners keep their heads up. They don't drop their heads. And so our guys were not going to walk off the floor with their heads down. And then uh, we're going to approach, like, like tough things are going to happen in our life, and we don't get to wallow in it. Okay, we got to keep moving forward. And, and this is more of a lesson for them of becoming men than it is about basketball. And – Sometimes you take those losses and you compare them to the same comments that head coach Nate Oates made in regards to how he was going to handle it and the adversity as a number one team losing in the NCAA tournament. But I I really respect the fact that Jerome Tang really embraced this whole March Madness situation. And he had one of the best point guards in the postseason in Noel And I really was excited to watch Kansas State play, and I thought that they would have come away with the win over FAU. No way, shape, form, or fashion did I think Coach May and FAU would be sitting here talking about it. And when we talked to their former head coach, when he was the head coach at FAU in the Sunbelt Conference, I know that Mike Jarvis didn't think FAU would be sitting here as as, as a Final Four participant. No, yeah, I, Mike Jarvis is probably the most surprised out of anyone. Uh, he, I mean, heck of a run for for the FAU Owls, and uh, they have a very good chance of continuing that run. I, I don't think San Diego State is this ridiculous, unbeatable team for FAU. I, I mean, look at the teams FAU is taking down. Tennessee, Kansas State. Uh, I mean, this, this FAU team can I, – I don't think they can win the national championship because I think UConn is going to – I, 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 I hate to just – go chalk here but i do think uconn is going to have two more blowouts and uh en route to a national championship uh maybe i'm wrong i'll be happy to be wrong if if i am but 
So I don't think FAU can win the national championship, but they can get there. Uh, they absolutely can. Here's my take on Miami. And you mentioned you think that UConn, UConn has won by 15 points or more in the games that they played. Jordan Miller and Isaiah Wong are the real deal for the Miami Hurricanes. And I think that that's just, when you start looking at having just, not just one prolific score, because UConn did an outstanding job on Timmy. And it was not Timmy time at all when they had an opportunity to play the other night. But in this game, two scores, maybe even three scores for the Miami Hurricanes, I think that makes and puts a little bit more pressure on Coach Hurley. And I know we have a caller on the air now. Welcome to the final drive. Hey, uh, Mike, Michael, uh, I, I've been calling in, talking all this Final Four, so I figured I'd call in and take my medicine. Yeah. Don't let you you don't have to take it all by yourself. Oh, I appreciate it, man. Listen, I mean, it is what it is. Uh, we'll we'll talk. We'll keep talking about it, and it it is a disappointment. And you know, it's like Tony said earlier. It's it's crazy to call a season where you win a double SEC championship, and win the most games in program history. It's a disappointment, but we knew what this team was capable of, and and uh, they ultimately fell short of the goal. So yeah, it it, it sucks, and it's gonna suck for a long hey, we- time. We got football though. Yeah, yeah. I'm on the fo- I'm on the football. We're all we're on the football in uh in the south here. So we'll we'll see what happens. But no, I mean, I it just, in in all seriousness, I I think it just speaks to the standard that Coach Oates has raised this program to. The fact that a Sweet 16 berth is, is we're di- talking about disappointment uh, after losing in the Sweet 16. There's a new standard in in the program with Alabama basketball, and that's something to be to look at positively and uh yeah it does suck and it's gonna suck until next season but it is what it is man uh we'll we'll, we'll see what happens I, next year i agree y'all have a good day appreciate the call jason well i will say this too you know brandon miller as a whole had a wonderful season he just he struggled down the stretch and i, I don't think that really mentally that was part of the problem. I just think that he took 19 shots. When you take 19 shots, you're never going to make the shot you don't take, but you don't think an All-American's going to shoot three out of 19 either. Yeah, I mean, yeah, make yeah, yeah, make more than three if you're going to shoot 19. It was, uh, I believe, for the tournament, I think he had the lowest field goal percentage ever. I don't have the stat in front of me. But I know he, he was a zero points, zero points in the first round, yeah. came back and hit his average in the second against Maryland. I thought he was good. I thought he was good in the Maryland game. And, and I, I mean, good enough for the Alabama to take a W. Yeah. And now, whether he put them on on his back, I don't think he did that because you had other players. Didn't need to. But but you wanted, you wanted if you're Brandon Miller. I know that you wanted to be able to make the argument as to why you are the best college basketball player, and that's why the argument has been made. Do you give these awards for college basketball after the entire tournament's over, mm. or do you give out the awards? prior to the tournament being over where you can still make noise yeah i mean it's no different from any other uh professional sport uh, there's a regular season mvp there's a super bowl mvp wh- whatever the case may be there's the naismith the wooden tournament most outstanding player yes there's too many awards in college basketball to actually keep up with there uh but obviously brennan miller's not going to be the tournament most outstanding player he was pretty atrocious in the tournament uh that doesn't take away from the season he had doesn't take away from 
Well, it kind of does take away from the season Alabama had, but in terms of Brandon Miller's all-time status as as an Alabama all-time great, I, I still put him right up there with anyone. Yes, did he did he not bring his best performance when it when it mattered most? That absolutely, I he, and he deserves all the criticism for that. He'd be the first one to tell you that that he that he didn't bring his A game in the tournament. That you'd be a fool to say otherwise. Uh, that being said. He's still the best player to ever put on crimson and white. Uh, he still led led the team to a double SEC championship. Still led the team to the most wins in program history in a season. Uh, I mean, give the kids some credit. Now, let me ask you this, too. In, with the Creighton-San Diego State game, I didn't have a problem the way that the officials called the Alabama game, but the Creighton-San Diego State went down to the last foul call with 1.2 seconds remaining or 1.3 seconds remaining. To me, that's a foul in that situation because you can't displace the shooter. Get your hands off of him, and we go to overtime, and you don't even have to have that debate. Yeah, it was close. Uh, I think there's a lot of fouls that if you break them down frame by frame, by frame and, and look at them in slow motion, they don't look like fouls. But real time, as as the game was playing out, it was a foul. Uh, it's going to be called 99 times out of 100, I think. To I mean, and even... Even Greg McDermott said after the game, so I can't leave it up to the rest. Same thing with Alabama. I thought there was some questionable calls throughout the night, but you're up nine with 12 minutes left. Can't leave it up to the rest. Uh, you had opportunities to win the game. Same with Creighton, and it is what it is. Uh, it's unfortunate for if you feel it wasn't a foul, which it's hard hard to make that argument, but even if it wasn't a foul, uh, you just you can't leave it up to the rest. Uh, they, maybe they should be held accountable for bad calls, but – in this case, specifically with the Creighton-San Diego State game. No, I mean, it was a foul. I think they're being graded at all times, whether it, that last call just becomes magnified in that situation. So, like Kenny Smith said yesterday on the air, you're going to be evaluated. If you miss that one call, then there's probably three or four that you missed as well. But I know as an official, anytime you call the perfect game, you just need to retire and not blow your whistle and put air in the whistle anymore. But the benefit of having the replay at home, you, it's why you have to be in great position as an official to make a call and have great angles. But it clearly was a foul, and San Diego State had to make the free throws at the end, and they did. They survive and advance, and they will take on FAU in the Final Four. When we come back, we'll get a preview of what to expect on the show following this. John Rochetti will join us momentarily here on the Final Drive. War Eagle, this is Butch Thompson, head baseball coach at Auburn University. You're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And it's now for the John Rochetti Golf Report, brought to you by Dan Hart, LLC, Engineered Products and Services. John, good afternoon. Well, Corey, good afternoon. I just uh, just spoke with my boy Bronner uh, before I got on, and you know everybody's dep he's depressed, but I told him to cheer up. We got Bama golf doing good. Yeah. yeah so uh, you know, so hey, things are bright in Tuscaloosa, man. The, the Crimson Tide golf team's doing well, so uh, maybe they can rattle a national championship this year, Bronner. Well, you know uh, that would. That'd be something, wouldn't it? Yeah, they've got a couple. They've, uh, you know, Coach Sewell up there has rattled a couple in the past. So you know, they got a good team. Um, it'd be, 
It'd be a little bit of a tough task but uh, for them to get one this year. But, uh, you know, they're a top 20 program, and if you're a top 20 program, you never know. It's evident, as you're discussing in, basket, in basketball earlier, listening to you guys, and, uh, uh, you know, there are Cinderella stories. But these teams are in the Final Four, good basketball teams, and the same with uh, the Crimson Tide Golf. They're going to get a chance to be in the NCAAs. They're going to have to advance from the regionals to the things a little harder, but uh, you never know if they get to the big dance. Who knows? John, where are you going to be doing your show tonight? I know everybody always loves to come and join you when you're on location for sure. Oh, yeah. We're going to be at Terry. Well, we're going to be at Terry Thompson shortly. Come join us and uh, maybe buy a new automobile. Obviously, we're going to talk about the World Golf Championships. Uh, that was uh, just concluded yesterday. The final time It's not on the schedule in 2024 due to all the elevated events on the PGA Tour. Rory McIlroy actually yesterday, a little uh, vocal about saying that the tour needs to continue having the match play championship, that the game of golf was originally raised in match play type format, that they need to bring it back and so forth. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. I know it's uh, this is the final conclusion of a long run of this match play championship and Got to give credit where credit is due yesterday to Sam Burns, who played great golf, uh, never lost a match from day one starting on Wednesday, never lost a match all the way to his, his win over Cameron Young. And by the way, he did birdie eight out of ten holes yesterday in his route to, I think, of a six-and-five victory over Cameron Young, in which, was, by the way, he opened up Cameron Young in a little tidbit. He opened up his uh, – uh, first match on Wednesday with a 27 in his opening nine, which included nine straight threes on his card on the front nine at Austin Country Club. But all eyes were on the semifinal matches, uh, guys. It could have been, I know, Jay Monahan at the PGA Tour and the folks at TV, they were hoping for this Goliath battle, which would have taken place. But uh, Rory McIlroy, was one up, two up with three to go against Cameron Young. He had to go in the playoff, ended up losing. Scotty Scheffler was one up uh, with a few to go against Sam Burns. They had to go in a playoff, and Sam Burns ended up winning that. It could have been a Rory McIlroy versus Scotty Scheffler battle in the finals, uh, but that, that didn't come to fruition. But let's give credit where the credit is due to Sam Burns and also the consolation match, which... I don't know why they have it. I guess they got to award the money, but uh, I just don't see. Can you imagine watching going to Rory McIlroy and Scotty Scheffler playing for third place? That would be uh, tremendous. But, uh, I mean, that that's something that you really third place. Enough said right there for those two top golfers. Oh uh, yeah, exactly. That would have been like you know who knows. So, but anyway, you know the you know we're just a few weeks, just our guess ten days or so away from the Masters. PJ Tour will. Uh, be at the Valero Texas Open in San Antonio this weekend and, uh, uh, you know, the conclude last chance for somebody possibly to stamp a ticket to the Masters. And then next week we're the first Masters, excuse me, will be the first event, the first major championship of 2023. I will be at the Masters looking forward to that and um, looking forward to it. So it's going to be good. Hopefully it's the weather cooperates and should be a great show at Augusta National next week. Coming up next, right here on the Miller Lite John Rochetti Show, we'll have plenty of golf. And, Mike, I know, John, thank you so much. And, and we'll definitely tune in immediately following the final drive. 
Is there, you mentioned there'll be sunnier times in Tuscaloosa. I know there will be. Again, you felt like Saturday morning probably there would not be any sunshine, Bronner, on Saturday morning. But there really was for really all Alabama fans, and all we can do is reflect and pontificate on what could have been, what should have been, but what is not. Yeah, the, the, the sun came up. It, it, it did come up. I found myself not really being able to uh, sleep sleep much on Saturday morning. I was up pretty early uh, before the sun came up, as a matter of fact, which is pretty unusual for me, if you know me. <laughs> uh, I couldn't just couldn't sleep and then uh, play a little golf on Saturday. It's, you know, I'm sure I'll talk to John Bruchetti about that later. Uh, yeah, the sun did rise. It will be okay, I guess. Uh, but, yeah, this one stings, and it will sting. It'll sting for a minute, man. Well, for most Alabama fans, it will continue to sting, and I know that Chris Stewart having to witness it firsthand, you could you could hear it in his voice on the broadcast on how bad it hurt. And at the end of the day, we needed Brandon Miller to be elite, need him to have some help. And it didn't happen for the Alabama Crimson Tide. And Auburn continues to remain the only team, men's team, that is, to make it to the Final Four. But UAB, they'll have an opportunity to make a championship game if they're able to win in their NIT game tomorrow night. So plenty of basketball, plenty of March Madness still to be had. You're listening to the Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive, live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty along with Michael Brauner joining you on this March Madness Monday. And are your brackets officially busted? Because I know mine definitely is and was. And for the first time since 1970, three first-time teams are in the final four in this NCAA tournament, San Diego State. FAU, of course, UConn and Miami, not a lot of blue bloods there as far as UConn could probably be considered a little bit of blue blood there from a basketball standpoint and success that they've had winning the national championship less than seven years ago. But at the same time, I know I had Alabama playing Gonzaga and I thought it was going to be Timmy time versus Miller time. And got neither one of those because Brandon Miller and the Crimson Tide fell short on Friday. And Timmy, at least they decided to go ahead and lose in the Elite Eight. But with the losses comes a lot of excitement in regards to having new faces in the Final Four. And I think that that is going to probably not generate as many viewers as they would have liked as far as CBS was concerned. But 
you know, with that being said, Michael, I know that your Final Four would have looked pretty good if Texas would have been able to come away. But, again, Rodney Terry officially being named the head coach at Texas today with the interim tag being removed. And here locally, Murphy High School was looking for a head football coach, and they found their man in Justin Hanna. He comes from Jackson Olin being their defensive coordinator, and he's hired officially on March 27th. So a lot of comings and goings there in regards to coaches and players. But with this Final Four format again tonight, you have two more teams trying to fill out the brackets for the final four Maryland taking on South Carolina and Ohio State taking on Virginia Tech and South Carolina the only undefeated team in the men or women's bracket and Caitlin Clark put on the best show of any player in the men or women's tournament last night with a 40 point triple double and that was pretty impressive it, it was, uh, you know, impressive is uh, an understatement there. You know, she made eight threes, and there was never a 30-point triple-double before that. And, you know, she broke a thir- the 30-point and a 40-point record there. So, heck of a performance for uh, Miss Clark from Iowa. 41 points, 10 rebounds, and 12 assists. And that's only the type of performance that I know a lot of Alabama fans wish that Brandon Miller could have had some type of triple-double. But... Unfortunately, they did not. And I know Nate Oates had something to say in regards to how his season ended for the Crimson Tide. Is there something about your, whether it's your system or the preparation or the game management that you think is lacking? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of really good programs uh, in the country that have lost. I mean, you could go down the list of them that it's what makes the NCAA tournament the NCAA tournament. I mean, they're all good teams. And, you know, I mean, we were going to lose to a team seated lower than us unless we won the national championship this year. We were the number one overall seed. So, you know, last year we had an injury that nobody expected when JQ blew his uh, knee out. Not that that's an excuse. Notre Dame played well. The year before that, we went 12 of 25 at the free throw line. It goes to overtime. You shoot 60 percent instead of less than 50. You probably win that game. This year we're three of 27 from three, and I know we, you know, we take a lot of threes, but you know, the system worked for the entire year. It's, uh, you know, we just, it's one of those deals where I'm gonna go back to the drawing board, see what I can get better at. We're gonna try to recruit really good players, and we're gonna, a lot, a lot of programs would love to be in the NCAA tournament three straight years. A lot of them would love to have won the SEC regular season tournament twice in the last three years. We're doing pretty good things at Alabama, and we're going to continue to get better. Continuing to get better, and he's exactly right. The system did work for a record-setting number of wins for the Alabama Crimson Tide, 31-6. and six. And there's no doubt I mentioned before that if Brandon Miller does go for a triple-double, of course Alabama wins. But, you know, LeBron James returning last night for the Lakers, the second time in his career that he comes off the bench, 19 points and eight rebounds. Even though the Lakers lost, they're in ninth place. It's great to still be alive as, as far as in regards to chasing playoff berths. But Alabama and Nate Oates, they're not. But they're just going to reflect on what a outstanding season it was and possibly two championship rings that they're going to be getting, one for the regular season and one for the conference tournament, Mike. 
Yeah, you really, uh, I, I jump back and forth on this one. Because, again, they did have a phenomenal season. They had a historic season. They won 31 games. No Alabama team on the basketball court can ever say they won 31 games except for this team. They won a double SEC championship, second in three years. Nate Oates is right. They, they are doing great things at Alabama. And, and this program was borderline irrelevant before Nate Oates got. I, the last game Avery Johnson coached was an NIT loss in the first round in Norfolk State. And, and uh, let me say that again. The last game Avery Johnson coached was an NIT loss in the first round at home to Norfolk State. And we're talking four years later about how disappointed we are in a Sweet 16 exit. So, yes, like, let's have some perspective. Nate Oates is, is doing great things at Alabama, and the standard has been raised, and I'm grateful to him for that. That doesn't take away from the fact that how, of how disappointing this loss is and the fact that this team was capable of more and the fact that this team did fall short. Yes, San Diego State's a great team, and they're in the Final Four, and they have a chance to play to get to the national championship, and they've earned that. They, I, they, they've earned every bit of that. But the path broke pretty favorably for Alabama. I think you'd probably agree. Oh, it was that. lined up. The, everything was lined up I, besides your superstars playing like a star. The path, I, 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 think, uh, I think Alabama probably loses to UConn in the national championship if everything went perfectly. I, the way UConn is playing, I don't think anyone's beaten them. Uh, obviously, UConn already had the, the dominant win over Alabama. I, I think you, they probably do fall to UConn on that Monday night if, if they get there. But, I, I, I mean, we, we can acknowledge that Nate Oates has done a phenomenal job building this program and has this program set up for success for, year to for years to come. And also talk about the fact that we're disappointed with what this team ultimately achieved in March. And, and it is what it is. But this team fell short. And, and to sit there and, and say and just be grateful, obviously be grateful for everything Nate Oates has done for the program. But to just sit there and, and give him a complete pass and give this team a complete pass on, on falling short and falling way short of what they were capable of accomplishing is foolish. But game management is going to be another thing that Nate Oates is criticized for, and with him having two, two new assistants coming in, replacing the two assistant coaches who are going on to coach in the Sun Belt Conference, one at Georgia Southern, the other one at Arkansas State, will they be able to have his ear in order to have an better game management because I think that's one of the biggest questions that has been asked of Nate Oates. It's not whether he can coach or not. It's just game management situations and how Alabama has faltered down the stretch of some seasons. And I think it's better without question than Avery Johnson. It's it's better than what we saw uh, for sure with Avery Johnson. Like you said, losing in the NIT is unacceptable and not having an opportunity to represent. But We'll see exactly where Alabama basketball continues to be. We'd love to hear from you, 251-694-1055. And I know we already have a caller on the line. Good afternoon or good evening, caller. Uh, hi, Corey. Uh, you and I met right at the end of the uh, thing at Moe's last week or week before. Yes, sir. Um, I don't – you may not remember, but my name's Roland. Yeah, absolutely, Mr. Roland. And I had on the uh, – I had a little hat, you know, with the coach, the new coach at one of the schools. Yeah, but anyway, my wife went to SDSU. 
And, man, she was getting up the last couple minutes and doing the waka, 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 <laughs> you know, around the living room. And I slept on the – yeah. I I, uh, I ended up sleeping on the couch, as you might imagine. <laughs> Roland, I, 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 <laughs> hey, look, we know where your allegiance lies without question. I, I, I tell you, that's a tough one. But, you know, at, at least you were able to cheer on for the rest of the tournament. She has dug out a, a hat, a SDSU hat, and um, some kind of little nursing patch when she was going to school there. And – magnetized it to the refrigerator so yeah she's she's all over the the, the aztecs well they definitely uh they, they definitely deserve to be in the final four they play great basketball and steve fisher the former coach there again winning that national championship in 1989 with the michigan wolverines really set the foundation for his mentor coach dutcher and and congratulations to sdsu and it was a a pleasure meeting you at Moe's and, and, and chopping it up with you for sure. <laughs> All right, man. Enjoy the show. Appreciate it, Roland. Roland, again, one of the fans who did come out. And, and who would have thought that if you still had San Diego State picking from our March Madness contest or UConn, UConn would have probably been, okay, well, maybe they can make it to the Elite Eight. That wasn't a bad choice there, but – Having San Diego State there and FAU, if you drew FAU, you're like, well, I'm a one and done. But that's the beauty of March Madness, and you have to love March Madness for sure. And, again, we'd love to hear from you and your brackets. Are they officially busted? 251-694-1055 is how you can get in touch with us. 251-694-1055 to discuss all the March Madness that's going on and have the Alabama Crimson Tide did they underachieve? Did they overachieve? It'll be interesting to see what your perspective is. And coming up next, we'll talk to Daryl Daprich, who will give us an Auburn Tigers perspective as well here on the final drive here on WNSP with Corey Labonte and Michael Brauner. Welcome back to the final drive. Corey had to run, unfortunately, so uh, I'm going to get you through the next 40 minutes. We're going to find a way to make it. It'll be all right. We got Daryl Daprich. It's always going to help. Locked on Auburn's Daryl Daprich, filling in for Zach Blackery for the next few weeks. Daryl, how you doing, man? Good, man. Thanks again for having me on. Really appreciate it. Oh, anytime, anytime. So, I mean, I, we'll, 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 we'll get this out of the way while, uh, while we have to, obviously. Uh huh. Well, we we talked about this a little bit last week before before the games at the BJCC. I, you weren't rooting for Alabama. I wasn't rooting for Auburn. So, I I mean, a, after Auburn is eliminated at that point, does it kind of just become for you? Uh, all right, my my first team I'm rooting for in March is is whoever Alabama is taking on. 
No. Um, I, I think it's because, look, I mean, there's it, being a part of Locked on Auburn, uh, there's a lot of things that Zach and I are exposed to in these live chats. And, you know, when, 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 when Alabama beats Auburn in football or softball or basketball, there, there is a, a certain reckoning that comes our way. So it, it doesn't, you know, full transparency, it doesn't bother me. I mean, obviously, you know, there's, there's part of that that says, well, you know, it turnarounds fair play. But I think because, to be perfectly honest, I'm from a different part of the country, and I've, you know, I, I didn't grow up in this rivalry like a lot of others have. And I think I have so many different teams that I pull for. Auburn is my first love. It's the, the primary team that I pull for now that I'm down here, and I really am focused on Auburn. But I'm a big professional sports fan as well. So I have a little other irons in the fire. I, I think because of that, it's just a little bit not as centric that it's all about the Alabama-Auburn rivalry. Um, that being said, look, you know, if you if you pull for a particular team, whatever is good for your rival is bad for your school. So, you know, if Alabama advances, gets to the Final Four, wins the national championship, that's not good for Auburn or, or Auburn basketball. And the same thing, you know, for Alabama fans, when Bruce Pearl got to the Final Four, I think so. To be perfectly honest and transparent, you don't maybe some people do, but I don't particularly actively, passionately root against. Uh, does it hurt my feelings when it doesn't go that way? Being involved with Lock Armor? Absolutely not. Of course not. Because again, you know, anything that benefits Alabama hurts Auburn and vice versa. So, I, you know, I just I don't get as much caught up. I guess in the vitriol and the and the hatred that kind of comes that way, but it makes it difficult. And it's not about the schools themselves or the programs themselves. This was a little different scenario because I really feel like there was a lot of part of the nation that was pulling actively against Alabama because of the whole Brandon Miller thing. Certainly, but I think it's about the fan base. I think it's about the fan base. And as a fan, you remember when other fans treat you harshly and are really really crappy and take shots. So human nature is, I want to see them get theirs. And and that's the aspect of it down here that, you know, and the Yankees, Red Sox, I, I saw it firsthand. Other rivalries have that, North Carolina, Duke. But it's, it's, it's so much fan base driven down here than it is particular school or player or coach. Cam Newton had a lot of venom thrown his way. Brandon Miller had a lot of venom thrown his way. Other than particular athletes in those situations, I just think it's focused more on fan bases. Yeah, I mean, it is all about the fan bases, certainly. I mean, I've, I've said it for a couple weeks now, and I understand why Zepp Jasper said he was rooting for Alabama, but we're sport, sports athletes are normal people. Fans are not normal people, and that, I think, is part of what makes the Auburn-Alabama rivalry uh, the, the the best thing in the nation, and I'm so glad that it is now expanded to basketball. Because I like I said, I mean, I'm rational on the air to Auburn, but I I'm not I'm not rooting for Auburn when when I'm in the BJCC. Right. I'm I'm actively rooting against Auburn. Yeah, and I, and that's the way I would expect it. Uh, the late Jim Fife used to say, anybody else that tells you that they pull for Alabama and Auburn until the two meet each other's a liar and a communist yes. is what he used to say. <laughs> and I go back to when you talk about. You know, Zepp Jasper and the fan base maybe being a little bit more, you know, fanatical about it than maybe just the guys that play, that respect each other, walk off the floor. I, I go back to that classic scene in the movie Fever Pitch. If you haven't seen it, the Red Sox oh, yeah. are, are eating at a restaurant, and they've got their eyes beat out to go down 3-0, and these fans are like, good God, we got beat by nine runs. 
And and they're like, look, that's their job. They're just eating dinner like normal people. They're not acting like the end of the world is happening because they're the athletes. They're the ones that go on the field and have to do it. And so when I hear stuff like that, I always go back to that scene and can relate to that, that the, the warriors on the field have a different perspective than the fans in the stands. Yeah, I mean, and I wrote today that, I, I'm not crazy. I, I know with with Alabama specifically here, I know no one feels worse than, than Nate Oates and the players on the team, but, man, I mean, from a fan perspective, it's like that that's a loss that you don't get over. I, I, I don't think I'll ever get over that one. It's tough. I think it's because the stars aligned. I mean, from an objective point of view, someone who's followed basketball for a long time, this was the year as far as talent, depth, makeup of the team, all those things in and itself in a vacuum, Alabama was favored. They were number one overall seed. They played such good basketball for most of the year. They looked unbeatable at times. So just that in itself going into the NCAA tournament is enough to feel like this is an Elite Eight Final Four team. Then when the bracket started falling Alabama's way, you're like, oh, it's, 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 you know, it's absolutely destiny. It's meant to be with the way this bracket is falling into place. And so, you know, I think that's what makes it sting a little bit more. If Alabama was a two-seed or three-seed and they got beat by a blue blood that was really, really good coming out of that region, you could probably justify it a little bit more like two years ago, although UCLA just got hot at the right time. They were a play-in candidate. But this year, everything, you know, was the stars were aligning. They had the best player in the country. They had depth. They had they could beat you a variety of ways. Pick your poison. And then the bracket opened up for them. And I think all those factors made it. I, I, I've been there. I've been there with following sports teams that were professional teams. It was just like a lock. You're going to get to the Super Bowl or the NBA Finals or the World. And then something fluky happens that beats you and it crushes your soul. That's why this one, I think, stings a lot more than maybe two years ago or ones or, or the wimp years when they would get to the sweet 16 and they would be on a roll and then they just couldn't get over that hump this one feels different no doubt and so bruce pearl after the houston game kind of echoed the sentiment of you know i'm proud of my guys but obviously had the aura about him that this wasn't good enough and i expect more and i have a high standard and i'm going to be recruiting tonight auburn obviously has a very good recruiting class coming in next year so i i mean the auburn alabama rivalry is set up pretty well for years to come it's amazing that at the end of the day there was a lot of hate and shade thrown on the state of alabama during the late 2000s and early 2000s with jealousy when Alabama won back-to-back national championships, then Auburn won one, and then Alabama won one. I mean, the trophy never left the freaking state line. And it was just, you know, people were like the state of Alabama and would take shots. Well, I'm telling you, get ready, because there is going to be a faction of fans across the country. They're going to be so jealous and so green with envy when Alabama and Auburn are competing for, you know, competing at a high level in both football and basketball in a rivalry. That's rare that that happens. UCLA and USC had it for a few years uh, in basketball and football. It's tough to do in other parts of the country because North Carolina and Duke haven't been really that relevant in football. Florida State in Florida with Billy Donovan, you know, Florida State got good in basketball with Leonard Hamilton, and then they still have the rivalry in football. So it's rarefied air when you talk about sustaining 
success in two sports at a high level where you may have rivals playing each other in the top 20 year in, year out in both sports. And the rest of the nation, in my opinion, is going to be is going to notice that, recognize that, and be very jealous of that. Well, we'll transition it over to football, and we'll get to spring mm-hmm. ball in a second, but I, I can't not ask you about this one. Cam Newton uh, threw at Auburn's Pro Day and, and had some things to say before it, you know, with the announcement that he was going to throw at Auburn's Pro Day. And to a certain point, Cam is just Cam, and, and his brand is uh, being himself and, and being loud and brash about it and having that level of self-confidence. But, you know, from an Auburn perspective, is it kind of just – Cam can do nothing wrong ever, and, and like, who cares? He, he, he is the best college football player maybe of all time, certainly at Auburn, if not Bo Jackson. And, and or, or is it kind of, all right, you know, Cam, this is Auburn's pro day. Uh, you're done in the NFL. Enough is enough. Where do you fall on that scale, I, I guess? Yeah, I think it's somewhere in the middle. I'll say this. Uh, you know, I've never been one of those guys that <clears throat> I'm very appreciative for what Cam did that year. That was one of the greatest history, seasons in the history of college football. I I never argue the point as to as to who the greatest Auburn football player is of all time, and that's Bo Jackson. Period. End of story. Four years, won a Heisman. Yeah, they didn't win a national championship, but he was there for four years, and he did things and paved the way, and did, that 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 Cam Newton did. I get it. he won a national championship, so he did something Bo Jackson didn't. But you know, you could say that that year they beat Michigan. Maybe they they could have and should have won the national championship. So Bo did put them in that position. I think Cam coming out and stealing a little thunder at Pro Day was solely based upon trying to do something and being with his brother Cam. And you know, Auburn's not going to turn that away because he's the four, you know favorite son and they're indebted to him. But in my opinion. I'm not one of those guys that has orange and blue glasses on towards Cam Newton, although I think he's a phenomenal football player. And, again, forever indebted to what he brought to Auburn with that national championship. He hasn't tarnished his legacy at all. But you can do stuff in the pros that even if somebody you're watching as an Auburn man, you're like, hmm, not real thrilled with that. Or, or maybe that could have been handled a little differently. And there have been those Cam moments. And I know it's almost blasphemy to say that if you're an Auburn fan, but you know, from a standpoint of how he handled some press conferences and some things, I think I would have liked to seen him handle a little bit differently. Maybe he matured. All indications are this, though, Michael, is that he was a really, really good teammate at Carolina and a really good teammate in the New England Patriots. Bill Belichick, no-nonsense guy, would not have put up with any crap from Cam. They just felt like physically with the shoulder problems, he just couldn't play anymore. So it wasn't a you know a personality thing. And his time had gone. He had taken a pounding in the NFL. I mean, a pounding, a lot more than most quarterbacks. I mean, he got sacked. He got drilled. He tried to run the ball a lot on his own and got hits downfield. So, you know, would I like to see him be a little bit more in the background during pro day? Yes. I don't want to have a problem that he was there and through for NFL teams, especially because his brother was there. But I would have liked it to see seen it a little bit more understated. Yeah, I think the Cam's selfishness, bad teammate thing, I think that's always been a bit overstated. Like you said, I mean, it seems like everyone who ha- has played on a team with him doesn't have a bad word to say about him. Like you said, he, he played for Bill Belichick for a year. It just wouldn't have happened if that was the case. So I think that is overstated. But I, I would agree. I, I think if he was he was just a little bit quieter about it, then uh, mm-hmm. th- then no one would have had an issue with it. Yeah, just be a little bit more in the background on that. Don't draw so much attention to yourself. You're there for your brother. You want to throw your Cam Newton 
just let your presence speak for itself, exactly. I think that would have worked out that way, yeah. Yeah, so Hugh Freeze today uh, had a comment that I think will get Auburn fans pretty excited. Ask uh, if anyone has stood out in the QB room so far in spring. And I kind of, heck, Blackerby comes on every week and and says, I don't believe that the quarterback is on the roster yet, but apparently Holden Garner is standing out. Is, uh, have you heard anything about this? What, what, uh, what can Auburn fans get excited about with regards to Garner? Still 100% agree with Zach until I'm wrong. Some things I've heard that the quarterback is not on the roster yet, but I think you can. Two things can be the two things can be true at the same time. Gurner can be could be separating himself to be that guy if a transfer or somebody comes in to back that transfer up to be number two, to you know to, to be the guy in a day that goes out there and takes first team snaps because. What's happened is there's been a transformation. Early on in the spring, I was hearing bad things, short hopping throws, uh, ball not coming out like it did last year. Uh, you know, just in, in – in, again, you're throwing against air. So I always get concerned. But, you know, in, in, in against certain teams when Gurner was on the field at pregame warm-ups and in A-Day and in certain scrimmages we were allowed to see, the ball did come out of his hand different last year than the other quarterbacks. When I heard that it wasn't this year – I had some concerns that maybe if it was an injury thing, apparently that pro day that he got to throw at springboarded him and a light came on. And after that pro day where he looked really good, every practice thereafter last week, he really threw the ball well. And he has stacked that with this week throwing the ball real well. So with Hugh Freeze picking him out, when a, when a, when a coach unsolicited brings a kid's name Welcome back to the final drive. Short segment here before we'll wrap up at the end. Michael Brauner here. It's been it's been a tough Monday show. You know, you come in after a gut-wrenching heart rip out Alabama loss and it is what it is. That but you know, it, it's the best part of radio that I get to be a sports fan who speaks into a microphone about sports rather than uh, an objective journalist. You know, it is what it is. I just, you know, there's been a lot of chatter in the app today about NATO, and not just in the app, but all over Twitter and all, all over wherever, about Nate Oates and an overrated coach and Alabama. I had a caller who didn't want to get on the air tell me, Alabama shouldn't have given him that extension because he hadn't produced in the tournament yet. And why did they give him all that money before he produced any? And I mean, I, I, to a degree, I understand that that's going to happen when you have a when you have a heartbreaking loss like this. And again, make no mistake, I said it from the top. This season didn't end the way anyone wanted it to. And I'm really upset about it. Every Alabama fan is really upset about it. I know I know Nate Oates, and I know the whole team is upset about it. It's disappointing. And they choked. They did choke. I mean, look at the path that was in front of them and look uh, look where they finished. They, it, was, it is not the ending to the season that anyone associated with this team wanted. It is what it is. But, you know, for people to say, Nate Oates shouldn't have gotten that extension, or Nate Oates is overrated. Nate Oates will never do this and that. Keep in mind, he's been the head coach of a major program for four years. He's won four SEC titles, two regular season, 
two tournaments. Made the Sweet 16 twice. Only uh, you know, The program has only made the Sweet 16 ten times in program history total. Two of them being in the last four years now with Nate Oates. And, it, it, I mean, for, for people to be so upset to the point where they think Nate Oates isn't the coach of the future for this team, it, it, it's crazy to me. It, the, it, he, the level to which Nate Oates has raised the standard at the University of Alabama for the basketball program, it, it, it speaks to the job he's done, the fact that people are this upset, the fact that I'm this upset. It, it, to a degree, you have to say it is what it is, and, and and this was a great season. They won 31 games. But you can be disappointed at, while acknowledging the job Nate Oates has done building this program and the job he did this season with this team. You, you, can, you can have it both ways there. Because, again, this team could have accomplished more. They should have accomplished more. It was there for him, and Tony Tony really Tony Sakala's really rubbed salt in the wound earlier when he said, "I mean, they would have had a pro Alabama crowd in Houston too." The way the way things shook out, they had a chance to win a national championship. They did, and they didn't get it done, and that sucks. But Nate Oates is what he has done for for this program. Again, I said it about thirty minutes ago. The last game Avery Johnson coached for this team was an NIT loss in the first round at home to Norfolk State. An NIT loss at home in the first round to Norfolk State. And I have a caller telling me they shouldn't have extended Nate Oates. They were a number one overall seed. They won 31 games. I mean, what what are we what are we talking about? And the user in the app says, "I'm not sure if Bama ever gets to the Final Four after what we saw this year." I I understand that feeling, and I and I'm kind of it's hard not to feel that way. I I kind of feel the same way. It's hard not to ask that if you can't if you couldn't do it this year, how could you ever do it? But look at the Final Four this year, man. Look look at the teams that are in it. it, it it's the NCAA tournament is not a best team in the country. It sometimes, but not always. I mean, the matchups are going to play out. <laughs> and and it's just the way it shook out for Alabama. There'll be other opportunities to get it done. Yes, it feel it stinks that it feels like they wasted what was their best opportunity probably ever. And their best player probably ever. Not probably. Definitely ever. But have a little bit of perspective on it. It's going to be all right. There are going to be other chances with Nate Oates. He's our coach of the future, and, and I, heck, I don't want another coach. If you do, I think you're a fool. We'll put a bow on the final drive coming up after this. John Ricchetti Golf Show coming up after this. Keep it tuned in. 105.5 WNSP. Hey, this is Showtime boxing analyst Steve Farhood, and you're listening to Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP. Wrapping up a Monday final drive. Tough day for Alabama. Tough weekend. I said earlier, I woke up early on Saturday. Something I don't usually do. I don't mean early. I mean like 5 a.m. early. Couldn't go back to sleep. It's a tough one. I wrote about it today. You can go read about it. 
it's just not a loss you uh, you get over uh, as a fan there. But it is what it is. There will be other chances. A little fun fact for you. Last number one overall seed to win a national championship was it's been 10 years. It was Louisville in 2013. Technically, uh, technically, that never really happened either. They did vacate the title, but I was actually there in Atlanta as a sixth grader, so it, it did happen. I, I can confirm I did see it. I, it happened. But, no, in all seriousness, it just goes to show how hard it is to, to get it done. And, and, yes, the best team in the regular season is often not going to win. It's just the way, the nature of the NCAA tournament. You should be proud of the, the season Alabama had and while acknowledging the fact that it sucks, they didn't get it done. It, it, both things can be true. But appreciate everyone for tuning in on a Monday final drive. We had Tony Sakalis at 3.30, Tide Illustrated. Joni Taylor, head coach at Texas A&M. Lady Aggies basketball. Daryl Daprich from Locked On Auburn. We'll come back to you for a nice Tuesday final drive. At least Chris Gordy will maybe ease some ease some Crimson Tide pains at 4 o'clock tomorrow. He's always good for that. We're going to talk to Valerie Preactor, too. Talk about this Lamar situation ongoing, which apparently is uh, not going away anytime soon. It does look like he's going to be playing for another team, so get excited for that tomorrow. But in the meantime, John Ricchetti Golf Show coming up next. So get excited for that. Keep it tuned in. Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP.